us will be continuing looking at the, the life of Elijah and Elisha, this time looking at 2 Kings chapter 4. And before any, doing anything, I am going to read this passage, uh, a couple passages uh, from 2 Kings. So, uh, let us read God's word. And Elisha came again to Gilgal when there was a famine in the land. And as the sons of the prophets were sitting before him, he said to his servant, Set on the large pot and boil stew for the sons of the prophets. Now one of them went out into the field to gather herbs and found a wild vine and gathered from it his lap full of wild gourds and came in and cut them up into the pot of stew, not knowing what they were. And they poured out some for the men to eat. And while they were eating of the stew, they cried out, O man of God, there is death in the pot. And they could not eat it. And he said, Then bring flour. And he threw it into the pot and said, Pour some out for the men that they may eat. And there was no harm in the pot. A man came from Baal Shalishah, bringing the man of God bread of the first fruits, twenty loaves of barley, and fresh ears of grain in his sack. And Elisha said, Give to the man that they may eat. But his servant said, How could I set this before a hundred men? So he repeated, Give them to the men that they may eat. For thus says the Lord, They shall eat and have some left. So he set it before them, and they ate and had some left, according to the word of the Lord. All right, so... We have two miracles of a kind of odd sort. Uh, they feel, if I'm honest, a little mundane. Or maybe just a little bit too ordinary. That the daily meals for two groups would be provided uh, through miraculous means. And that this passage would revolve so much around... Uh, just simple meals and simple sustenance for daily followers of Christ. Uh, eventually, we'll get there. But uh, today, I hope that we might uh, dive a little deeper into these passages, that we might see a God who is uh, consistent in the, the small and simple miracles, miracles though they be, uh, we see the same God who does what? He, he redeems. He transforms. He turns death to life. He enters into impurity and, and brokenness, and he provides for his people and sustains them. And that all these things are, uh, are consistent with the God who would send Jesus Christ to be the bread of life who stands before us, giving us life out of death. So, uh, we're going to look at all of these things, and to do that, uh, let us pray. Father, we thank you for your working. We thank you that you meet us in the midst of famine, in the midst of death. We thank you that you care for your people. And Lord, we ask that you would care for us now, that you would feed us from your word, that you would show us uh, your goodness and your grace, that you would give us um, wisdom 
to apply these things well and in a way that is consistent with Scripture and consistent with your character and, Lord, that actually plays out in our lives. Would we be changed and would we know uh, Jesus Christ in all of his saving work? We pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right. So, as we begin our passage, uh, we see one truth and one situation that is, is central to it. And Elisha came to Gilgal where there was a famine in the land. All right, so this is part of the key passage. Uh, as much as we might think, oh, these are mundane, simple miracles, if there's such thing as a mundane or simple miracle, uh, it changes it that this is a famine going on. All right, so suddenly these things uh, are not just God saving dinner. They are God uh, acting in the midst of death, in the midst of, of people's lives hanging in the balance. And therefore, these are, these are powerful stories of, of not just sustaining, but salvation, in a sense. Moving people from death to life. And with that, let's look at our first food miracle. And the sons of the prophets were sitting before him, before Elisha, our great prophet, and he said to his servants, set on the large pot and boil stew for the sons of the prophets. All right, who are the sons of the prophets? All right, this is not literal. This is not the prophet's children. Uh, this is uh, this group. This kind of remnant of the last followers of Yahweh. And the prophets have come together to fill, form this kind of, almost like a monastic order, a guild, a gathering of the, the true followers of Yahweh in the midst of a land that has gone into idolatry, where the temples that are built are false and are ruined, and they are living together, they are communing together in the midst of this famine. And Elisha says to his servant to prepare a stew for seemingly a, a fairly large amount of prophets in the midst of a famine. All right, so he goes out, and one of them went out into a field to gather herbs and found a wild vine and gathered from it his lap full of wild gourds and came and cut them up into the pot of stew, not knowing what they were. All right, what category do we put this guy into? All right, this is just a servant, a good and faithful servant, an ignorant but, and unknowing servant, but what was he doing? He was told to do this. And in the midst of famine, what did he discover? He discovers what looks like a, a great feast. The Lord's provision, a, a blessing. And the language here is that he like does this thing like little kids do when they gather stuff. And you know, like scoops it all into his shirt. As many as he can. And he goes back and starts to prepare this stew. All right. Little did he know he had... Uh, I actually have a picture of it. You're welcome. He had this. All right, see these things. Uh, I have one of these sitting. It looks, like, it looks exactly like a watermelon. I have one of these sitting on my counter right now. It looks exactly the same. And yet, what is this? Uh, this is colocynth. This is uh, called bitter cucumber. Uh, if you eat this, you die. All right? It kills you. Uh, and what does he do? He takes this back, 
puts it in the stew, ignorant of everything that's happening. All right. Bitter cucumber. Uh, not good for you. So, this is, this is the best efforts of a servant who is naive, who is ignorant, and he ends up bringing death back to the people of God. All right. Now, you are servants. You are servants of the Lord. And sometimes you go out and gather. All right, maybe you go out into the world of philosophy or psychology or self-help books. Or you go into the world of social media. You go into the world of streaming services and the wisdom of the world. And you come back with bitter cucumbers. And you feed them to the people. Or maybe some of you, you... You faithfully search the scriptures, and you go and look for truth, and what do you bring back? You bring back heresy, or bad theology, or just uh, bad applications, bad ways of applying the gospel. All right. Others uh, seek to bring to the body good counsel and love and care, and what happens you end up throwing bitter cucumbers into the pot. Now, what happens? What happens when the servant unknowingly does these things? All right, verse 40. They poured out some for the men to eat. And while they were eating the stew, they cried out, O oh, man of God, there is death in the pot. And they could not eat it. All right, so what is this? This is... Is death. They're eating poison. The result of this, all of this effort, all of this, uh, this good gathering, this faithful service, it is poison and it is death. It is the opposite of what is intended for. It does not bring any life. All right. Now, thankfully, it's called bitter cucumber because it tastes terrible. So they don't just keep eating it, but uh, they cannot continue. And so they cry out to Elisha, their leader, this representative of God, the man of God before them. And he said, then bring flour. And he threw it into the pot and said, pour some out for the men that they may eat. And there was no harm in the pot. All right. Just in case you were confused, this is not how flour works. <laughs> okay? Flour is not a magic antitoxin that if you throw it into things... Uh, all right, this is, not a, this is not a strategy. He's not a chemist. Uh, he's a prophet. And of all the unlikely things, he causes a miracle to happen to this pot of stew that it might be transformed from death to life. That it might not kill the people, but sustain them. All right. If I was responsible for serving everyone a stew that turned out to be poisonous, I would probably just throw it away. I don't think I would try to redeem it. I don't think I would try to get rid of the poison. I would probably just start again. Uh, all right. But this is, this is the man of God. This is God's story. And oddly enough, uh, 
He doesn't throw it away. He redeems it. He restores it. He cleanses it. All right, and what happens to the servant? Nothing. Nothing happens to the servant. All right, he's not chastised. He's not humiliated. He's not shamed. He's not guilted. He's not responsible for killing all of the people. Now, the, the flower cast over it by the man of God purifies it. These deeds that he did are redeemed. And life prevails. All right. All right, so what do we do with this passage? All right, on the one hand, we do not want to be absurdly literal here. All right, this is not a story that tells us that if you're eating, eating things with food poisoning, the Lord can redeem them and, and can make them not bad anymore. All right, some of you are probably like, okay, that's why we pray for our food. No, that's not, this is not this, Okay. Uh, we pray for, for, for our food for a lot of reasons, for, for Thanksgiving, that we might receive it, to the glory of God. Uh, it's not primarily to cover foodborne illnesses, okay? All right, I, I am not, I'm going to pray for the potluck afterwards, and I'm not going to pray this. I'm not going to hope that a miracle happens and that your crockpots uh, turn from poison to life. All right, so that's not the application. Uh, but we also have to be careful here because... We can go from very, very literal to, like, very metaphorical and do what's called allegory and just, like, just turn it into whatever we want it to be. All right, we shouldn't do that either. All right, so uh, instead, what are we going to say? We want to see a certain kind of God here. And we want to see a certain kind of pattern uh, that's inherent in all things that might help us. So, the reality that Scripture paints for us is that death can pollute everything. Death can pollute everything. And in fact, uh, death does pollute everything. It pollutes our hearts. It pollutes our thoughts and our motives. It pollutes the church. It has polluted every relationship that you have ever had. Other realities. There are servants of the Lord that can bring back death into a place of life. And they, they innocently go out and find things and, and bring them back, and they are death. And they introduce death into the church, into their families, into their own lives. Even acting in ignorance or in innocence, seeking, seeking to be faithful. All right. And what is the pattern? God neither destroys the stew or the servant. He doesn't have to destroy either. He can redeem this whole thing. So, some of you are terrified of this idea. All right. Uh, You will not read your Bibles because you're afraid that somehow you will come up with a, a heresy and you will infect yourself in the body. All right. Some of you will not go out and share the gospel 
because you are afraid that you will, you will confirm these people as sinners going to hell because you said the wrong things. That you're sharing the gospel, it will introduce death into their lives and there'll be nothing left. Some of you don't pray because you're afraid that you might accidentally pray something that brings curses down upon you. You will not go out and gather for fear that you will create death. Now, I just want to say, okay, what, what is the worst-case scenario? The worst-case scenario is, yes, yes, you bring a bunch of bitter cucumbers and bring them back and try to feed them to everyone in the body. All right. But what happens? God's people will taste it. They will sell, this is death. Cry out to the man of God, and he will make it right. All right. You will not be destroyed. The body will not be destroyed. Everything will be okay. And that's where, like, we have Jesus Christ. We have the, the better Elisha, the better man of God, who really can purify and redeem and turn turn things around and cleanse and restore. And all of us, all of us have some death in us. All of us are poisoned. All of us have a little bit of heresy. All of us have a little bit of foolishness. And yet, what do we have? We have this great Redeemer who is cleansing us and changing us, who is working in the body, who is protecting us. And we have a Savior who, who gives us authorities and people we can cry out to. We have the Word of God. And that the Word of God, it cleanses, and it purifies, and it corrects. All right, we have the Holy Spirit. This Holy Spirit who, who filters our prayers as they ascend to heaven. And he will not let you just utter prayers for your own destruction. That same Holy Spirit, what does he do? He gives us the words to speak when we are sharing the gospel. And he makes sure that we're not just destroying people. All right, he's given us teachers and leaders to educate and rebuke. And what do we do? We, we all press on. We are corrected. We admit our fault. We learn. And the body, the body carries on. Death is turned to life. The whole is saved from utter destruction. All right, that is the nature of our God. And that is the nature of the gospel. As we are all polluted by death, we have this one who cleanses us and redeems us and saves us and turns death to life, who offers his very body and blood that the sin and death inside of us does not win. So, what does this mean? All right. Go out and gather. Do the things you are called to do. Serve. That's where uh, in, in seminary, there's like, 
one of our professors, he was really big on this. He was like, who, who destroys the church? Not sincere people going out trying to share the gospel and, and understand God. Uh, they're not the ones who are bringing in these great heresies and destroying things. Who is it? It's the people who are high and, and lofty, who think they have every answer and will answer to no one. Those are the ones who introduce the poison and it can't get out. All right. As you go out and serve the Lord, trust that he will, he will bring life where he can't, where, where even death exists. And your faithfulness is under his sovereignty and under his care. And as we do this as a body, you'll be okay. All right. Now remind us, all right, are you liable to throw out the whole pot that the instant you see anything poisonous, anything bad, we throw out the people, throw out the church, throw out relationships? All right, that's not the nature of the gospel. All right. We forge ahead, we press forward, and we trust Christ to work. Amen? All right. So, that's food miracle number one. Let's go to number two. A man came from Baal Shalishah. I said it, I said it way nicer the first time. Oh, well. Uh, bringing the man of God bread from, of the first fruits, 20 loaves of barley, and fresh ears of grain in a sack. And Elisha said, give to the men that they should eat. All right, so this is a man, and he brings his first fruits to the man of God. Seemingly because he doesn't bring it to the temple, which is polluted and, and bad, and okay, we don't want to go there. And so he brings it to this, this one remaining prophet and his, his people surrounding him. In the midst of the famine, he brings his first fruits and lays them at the feet of the man of God. All right. Uh, just so we recognize this, this is an act of great faith. That the first fruits are the, the beginning of the harvest with no guarantee that there is going to be second fruits or third fruits or fourth fruits. But in the midst of famine, he brings these things out of faith, trusting these, these belong to the Lord, not to him. Now, which fruits do you bring to the Lord? First fruits, second fruits, third fruits, last fruits, no fruits. And the famine, like, we ask, well, it wouldn't be very wise to bring the first fruits in the midst of the famine. No, it's not wise. It is filled with faith and faithfulness. Um, that's not the first application, but there's probably something there. All right. Now, uh, the true man of God, what does he do? He does not hoard these things. He's not like the, the false shepherds who just devour the sheep. No, what does he do? He turns around and he, he gives it to the people. 
He gives it to those around him. He says, yeah, give that they may eat. But a servant said, how can I set this before a hundred men? So Elisha repeated, give them to the men that they may eat. For thus says the Lord, they shall eat and have some left. All right, so this is the, the less faithful servant, the less faith-filled servant. He doesn't see it, but in response to what does Elisha do? He repeats it with a promise. You know, it's, do it. It's going to work out. There will be over an abundant provision. The grace of the Lord will overflow. There will be excess. So we said it before them, and they ate and had some left according to the word of the Lord. So the word of the Lord stands. The prophet's words are true. And there is over and abundantly more than they possibly could have needed. All right. So, uh, what do we do with this one? First, this is multiplication. This is multiplication. This is God using the simple faith of one person. And when that faith comes, it is multiplied. There's this idea that one grain of wheat, if it dies, it will produce a hundredfold. The idea that the kingdom grows from the smallest of seeds, that the single talent, if faithfully invested becomes ten, and the ten talents become ten cities. There's this idea that God, he, he multiplies simple acts of faith. That the tiniest bit of faith moves mountains. All right. We see in this the, the God who brings life out of death who provides for his people, who though the world is, is filled with death, they cannot find life in the midst of it. We have this God who is over and abundant and overflowing with life and pouring out that life upon his people. And that's where I uh, just want to remind us the application of this is not first and foremost Oh, God will give me food. To, or God will give me what, uh, simply what I need. No, God, God will give you life. God will make sure you do not die. God will give you life out of death. God will. He won't just give you what you want. He'll give you what you most desperately need, which is life itself. And that's really where this passage starts to move. As we look at all of Scripture, we see once again, this is not the first time this has ever happened. We see the Israelites wandering through the desert, given manna from heaven. And what is that? That is not just the God who provides food. That is the God who provides life in the midst of utter death in the desert. And we've seen God who provides for his people in the midst of the desert battling 
in armies and they're going to be destroyed. And what does he do? He provides life so they may not die. We've seen countless, countless stories of the, the widows who are on the brink of death, but they are sustained. They are given life when they ought to have died without the miraculous working of God. And so as we read a story like this, we should expect it to build. To build that we might have life. Life out of death, true life. And when we find that the culmination of Scripture, this miracle happening once again, we see that's exactly the point. That Jesus, the man of God, when he feeds the 5,000 and feeds the 4,000, he's doing something so much better. First of all, it's just a cooler miracle because he's doing orders of magnitude more with less. But what does he say? He says that, no, this isn't supposed to be about food. And I'm not just here to feed you. These things are a sign. A sign that this man of God, this man of God can give you life eternal, can give you true life, can give you such life that I don't care how many miracle loaves you had or how many miraculous fish you ate, you're still going to die. You need so much more life than is offered in one meal or in a lifetime of meals. So what am I saying? All right. You guys have never, have never experienced famine. I think, probably. 99% of you have probably never experienced famine. You've never not had enough food. You've never needed God's provision. And I'm not going to say that, you know what, this, this is about God simply providing for your needs. And be thankful for the jobs that you have and for the food that you get because it comes from God. All right, that's true. But that's not this passage. What am I saying? I'm saying that there is a source of utter life that can be miraculously given to you that is the true bread of life. And that there is a source of such life that even if you starve to death, you would still be sustained. And this world, this world out here, is in a famine. A famine of holiness, a famine of righteousness, a famine of obedience. The world is starved and starving and cannot find life. And Jesus comes into that scene and he says, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. Whoever eats of me shall never perish. And we can go looking for life out there and we can bring back death. There's really only one source of life. Jesus Christ. 
and we are dead in our transgressions. But there is one who stands to feed us and to sustain us and to give us life. In the words of Jesus, Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, you were looking for me not because you saw signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for the food that spoils, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. This passage is also not about miracles. It's not about the food. The thing that's most important is the sign. As is a sign that points to Jesus Christ. It's a sign that points to eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you will see me and still do not believe. All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of those he has given me, but raise them up on the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I'll raise him up on the last day. Do you need this life? Eternal life. Do you need life out of death? Do you need life out of your condemnation for sin? For your lack of righteousness and holiness? Your inability to stand before the God of all glory? Because within you is death and poison and because you cannot find life on your own. There is but one, one solution, there is the bread of life. And he has promised that he will give you that life, that his resurrection life will be yours, and you will stand with him in heaven, and you will enjoy him for all eternity, and you will be satisfied. Now, many, when they heard that, when they heard him say these things, they went away grumbling. It was too hard a message for them. But what does Peter end up saying? Jesus says, you, you do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve, and Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. As you look for life, look for life in Jesus Christ. As you are empty and you are hungry and you are desperate to be filled, go to Jesus Christ. Eat of the bread of life. If you feel like you are starving, you probably are and you desperately need Jesus, the source of life. And if you realize you're going out there and just 
desperately looking for the wrong things. Jesus Christ, the bread of life. He will. He will sustain us. He will be victorious in the end. He will cleanse us from all sin and all death. And he will give us his resurrection life. Do you believe that? All right. Amen. All right. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we, we thank you that of all the times you love to show up, it's when death comes and you can so, show yourself to be the source of life. Father, we thank you for Elisha and the way that he points to Jesus Christ, the ultimate man of God. Lord, we thank you that you sent your son to die and bear our sin and our death to cleanse us. And Father, we thank you that you've given us him as our source of life, our source of life in the famine, our source of life in a world surrounded by death and brokenness and sin. Lord, we ask that we may run to Jesus Christ, the bread of life, to whom else shall we go? Father, would we be a people who are satisfied with Christ and sustained by him and filled with the life that is found in him, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.